let's just turn to God. I, let's just uh, close our eyes for a minute and ask God to minister unto us at this time. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Father, we ask, Lord, that you minister unto us right now, Lord. We just surrender ourselves into your hands. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to us, Lord Father, that which you want us to, to learn, to understand, to listen to your voice, Lord Father. We ask, Lord, that even as you bring it across to us, we will receive it with a receptive heart. I pray, Lord, that you will keep us in your fold, help us to understand the plans that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me go back to a standard question that would obviously come at this point. And that question simply is this, how many of you were blessed by the series of meetings that we had last week? Right, thank you. So the question that follows that is, what was the core message right through? What, what was the core message right through? The church, past, present, and future. Okay, so some of you might have forgotten that. But that is the story that we have heard of last week. It was essentially building God's church. Now that we see how God is building the church and strengthening each of us, there is also a precaution that we need to take. You see, usually after any celebratory event, the immediate tendency for everybody involved in that event is to take a moment to relax, to say all the hard work is done. Let's just relax for some time. But the Bible warns us that this is the time to be most careful. This is not the time to relax. This is the time when the devil will attempt to attack and break down what has just been built up. Time and again we have seen this. And there is a history of it right across from the Bible through church history. Now, whenever there has been a celebratory event, an event that was generally appreciated, termed a good thing, immediately after that, there is a bit of a shake-up. And that is what God is warning us right now. He said, you have just gone through a celebratory period. You have celebrated 30 years of my faithfulness to you. Don't relax. This is not the time to relax. Now, actually, when I started preparing for today, which was sometime about two, three weeks back, I had no intention of speaking about what I'm going to speak right now. I took a message which was titled, a favorite title of mine, which is Selfie. Okay. And that was what I wanted to speak on. But then, sometime last week, sometime during the week, God gave me a different message 
and I just put down a few points, and then I left it. Uh, I had it on my flash when I went to work yesterday. I had both the messages on my flash yesterday, and at about uh, 1.15, I just finished my class, I came back, picked a cup of coffee, I was sitting at my table, exhausted, uh, I had four hours of classes, and then I was sitting there exhausted, hoping that nobody would enter my office and uh, talk to me. And just as I was sitting there, I had this great urge that I need to get back to the messages. So I said, okay, I switched, switched on the computer, I put my flash back inside, and I opened both the messages, and I looked at both. I started reading my selfie message, which is uh, halfway completed. I couldn't understand what I've written. It didn't make sense to me. I read it again, because that's a message which is fond. I'm fond of that message. I said, let me, I need to get this going. I read it again and again. It didn't make much sense to me. So I said, okay, let me read the other message. I remember, I'm tired. I read the other message, which I've just started. I didn't have the body. And in the next 30 minutes, I got everything that I needed. I don't know where I got the energy. I don't have a Bible, a paper version Bible in my office. I have it on my smartphone. That, that's about it. I have it on my computer also, so I opened out everything, and the message just popped out. So that is what you're going to hear from me today. Okay, it's a message which was prepared less than 24 hours back. TV Olaf has had 30 years of maturing, but what next for you and for me? Let's open our Bible to the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 6, and let's read verses 1 to 19. Because this is where our message comes from this morning. And I shall read it to you from the New Living Translation. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 19, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Sanballat, Tobiah, Jesham the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Jesham sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanbalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Jesham tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so, that, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining 
that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit, visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shekaniah, son of Era, and his son Jehohanam was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Let me tell you a legend of, a, of, of the Red Indian tribe. When a boy reaches the age of 15, he is apparently sent into the mountains or into the forests or into the valley to spend a full seven-day period all by himself. He takes nothing except a spear and a knife. He must learn how to catch, to kill, to cook some animal for his lunch and dinner. He must learn to survive the cold or the heat of that region, and he must be quick to protect himself from any form of danger. At the end of the seven-day period, the boy has to return to his village with the tail feathers of a particular bird that he has been instructed to catch. This feather becomes a symbol in his own cap to a later date. He is now declared a man. This is known as the Red Indian Rite of Passage to Manhood. Now, there is one particular story about one particular Red Indian boy who was sent up into a tall, cold mountain as his rite of passage to manhood. Now, at the top of the mountain, he found a rattlesnake that could somehow speak. The rattlesnake spoke to him and said, it is so cold here that I am about to die, but I want to live. Please keep me in your coat and take me down the mountain and release me there where the temperature is not so cold. The boy laughed and he said, I know you, rattlesnake. You will bite me and kill me as soon as you get the chance. I will not help you in any way. Please, said the rattlesnake, I am at the point of death. I promise 
I will never do you any harm. After all, you are saving me from a terrible death. This discussion went on for a few days. Remember, the boy had to be on the mountaintop for seven days. And finally, the boy gave in. So when it was time for him to return to his village, he picked up the snake, kept it warm, and came down the mountain. And when they reached the base of the mountain, where the temperature was pleasant, the rattlesnake bit the boy and jumped away. Why did you do that? said the boy, in pain, as the poison from the rattlesnake flowed through him. Didn't you promise not to harm me? Well, said the snake, you know my nature very well. Whatever happens, I will bite. That's me. You knew that, but you chose to make friends with me. However, I can't make friends with you. It is my nature to destroy you. And that is not going to change. Let me now go, because I am now warm. Let me now go and look for more of your kind to destroy while you die here, said the rattlesnake as it slithered away. So what's the message of the story? Very simple. Some things never change. We always say, God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's true. The devil never changes. He's always been a deceiver, a thief, a liar. Whatever he tells you. In whatever form the devil appears in front of you, with whatever package he has for you, the fact of the matter is the devil is a deceiver, a thief, and a liar, and that cannot change. The devil may change his strategy, his modus operandi, his appearances, but his plan is always the same. Destroy anything that concerns God's people and destroy God's church. We have just celebrated 30 years of God's faithfulness in this church. Do you think the devil is happy? it will be the devil's intention to destroy the church. And that is what we need to be warned against. Because that is the nature of the devil. The devil doesn't want God's church to grow or to succeed. If the devil can't destroy the church, that is the next thing that he will do. And that is, he will neutralize it so that you don't grow. You survive, you exist, you live. You think that you're doing well, but you're not growing. You're stagnating. The devil is happy with that. Sing your songs. Listen to your messages, but don't grow. Think that you'll do well for the next 30 years. That's absolutely fine with the devil. But if you look at Acts chapter 2, the early church, it grew and grew and grew. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that the church grew and then stopped growing and remained stagnant. And therefore, the message for us simply is this. The devil is a deceiver, a thief, a liar. 
and he will want us to remain as we are. But remember, right at the beginning of this year, and maybe last year when we moved into this church, we heard from this pulpit that there should come a point of time when this hall will not be enough. Pastor Abraham will have to go and request PCO. Can you please pull down this hall and build a bigger church? The church is growing. Okay, that's what we need to be looking forward to. We need to still be growing and growing and growing just as the Lord wants us to grow. So let's now return to the book of Nehemiah and see how we can get our points. How do we understand the warning that God is giving us right now? The title of today's message is simply, Do Not Relax Now. Okay, that's the title. The focus is on the now. Do not relax now. And then we move on. Nehemiah chapter 6. As an introduction, let me mention this. In late July, I shared a message called Spiritual Setbacks. Anybody remember that? No, obviously not. Okay. It was taken from the book of Ezra, chapter 4. And, in, and if my memory serves me right, I did tell you at that point of time that if you were really interested in knowing the whole picture of how the wall was built and the story of the Israelites at that point of time, please go and read Daniel, Ezra, Haggai, and Nehemiah. I shall not disappoint myself by asking how many of you have read that book. Now back to Nehemiah chapter 6. You see, from the whole passage, we see that the devil never gives up. Nehemiah had completed the building of the wall of the city and only the doors remained to be fixed. The devil still attempted to undermine the work of Nehemiah and try to destroy what he had built up with the people. And for this, Satan used four main schemes. Those were the schemes he used then, and those are the schemes he attempts to use now also. Wherever he wants to try it out, he still tries the same schemes. Number one, intrigue. Can I have the next slide, sister? Intrigue. I'm sorry about the lettering being small, at least on the screen. Um, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Scheme number one of the devil is intrigue. I'll read those verses again. Sanballat, Tobiah, Jesham, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained though we had not yet set the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Jeshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same answer. Sanballat was the governor of Samaria. Tobiah was the governor of the Ammonites. Jeshem was an important leader to the Arabs. 
So when these important official people called Nehemiah, who was the governor in, 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 in his region, uh, when they called him for a leadership conference or a peace conference or a United Nations conference, it needed godly wisdom and a firm conviction of, your, of his priorities for Nehemiah to say no. I'm not coming. Well, what were they asking for? They said, let's just meet and discourse on a few things. You know, we're going to be neighbors. Let's see how we can work together. Okay? And then they said, let's meet over there at a border town in the plains of Ono. Now, Nehemiah was clever enough to realize that that was the wrong place to go to because God did not want him to be there in Ono. God wanted him here to be completing the work that has been entrusted unto him. You see that leaders, Sanballat and Tobiah and Jeshem and others, knew that they had failed in their earlier methods. They wanted to, to stop the wall being built. If you read Nehemiah chapter 4, that's the message that we get. So now they decided that having failed in that attempt, the wall is built, only the doors need to be put in. Let's try something different. Okay, let's try fine deception. Let's use fine-sounding words. And then let's draw Nehemiah away from the work that he is still doing. Let's get him to talk. Now, we all know that there's a lot of talk that goes on. And talk. And talk. The history of the United Nations is talk. From the time it started as the League of Nations and got converted into the United Nations, it has become nothing but a pricey center for talks and no action. You see, and that is what these leaders were trying to do. They said, come, let us talk. Let us talk. Let us talk. The time for talk is over. The wall is built. The doors need to be put in. Work needs to continue. There is still more to be done. Nehemiah knew that. And God clearly impressed upon Nehemiah's mind that talk is not important. Forget about it. It was simply a plan to destroy Nehemiah. Maybe if they were part of the Indian police force, Nehemiah might have been killed in an encounter. We know how people are killed in encounters. Suddenly something happens. You know, Nehemiah might have been killed in an encounter. In Psalm 120, verse 6 and 7, we read that David has also realized the inward intentions of people around him. He writes this in, in verses 6 and 7. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. 
I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. You see, this is the intention of people around you. They may talk with fine-sounding words of peace, but the intention is war. This is the kind of enemy we face. Satan still uses all kinds of innocent-sounding appeals to lure believers into traps. He isn't playing games. The devil's intention is very simple. He wants to devour you. And that's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Many people get lured into this trap of, of Satan's trap of compromising sound biblical doctrine for the cause of unity. How often have you heard these words? And I quote, The Bible does not ask us to highlight correct doctrine, but our Christ-like love. We need to set aside matters that divide us and come together on matters we agree on. That is the way the devil makes us compromise. You see, there are certain areas we cannot compromise on, and Nehemiah knew that. We do not compromise on godly principles. We do not compromise on biblical doctrine. But that is the lure of the devil. God's love requires that you don't hold that high standard, but you must be able to meet with the needs of others. I don't know what made Pope make a particular statement, but he made a statement in which he said, Sometimes, I doubt whether Jesus Christ is God. Who makes the statement? The head of the Roman Catholic Church. And then others will start talking to you and say, even the Pope has doubts whether Jesus Christ is God. So why do you say that Jesus Christ is God? Come, let's talk. Jesus Christ is man. Yes, he's a very good man. Even the head of the church says that. You see, the boy on top of that mountain, the red Indian boy, stood firm for a few days, and then he gave in to the snake, to the rattlesnake. Okay? The words of compromise will keep pumping into you. It will keep coming and coming and coming and coming. You've got to stand firm. Nehemiah stood firm. Four times the letters came. Come, let us meet. Four times, Nehemiah said, no chance. We also need to recognize from these verses that Satan is relentlessly persistent and patient. This is definitely one area where Satan has understood God better than you and me. You and I have become 
the instant answer now generation. But that is not there in the Bible at all. The Bible doesn't talk about instant answer now. The Bible talks about patience, perseverance, long-suffering. We have thrown out patience, persevering, long-suffering. And we want now. The instant is okay for instant coffee. And that is actually tasteless. But that's okay. If you want to drink that, that's fine. It doesn't work in the rest of the areas. And that is where Satan has clearly understood the mind of God because he practices patience, perseverance, and keeps coming at you again and again and again and again. While we have taken our prayers to God once, twice, thrice, and then we say, forget it, this is not going to happen. Where is the patience and perseverance that the Bible asks us to apply in our own lives? Nehemiah received the invitation four times, but always his answer was no. It never changed into an, okay, let's, let's meet. A crucial question that Nehemiah asked at that point is the same question you and I need to ask today. He said, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working and come to meet with you? In other words, what is greater than God's work that I should leave it and run, run at some man's juicy invitation? Today, you and I need to recognize that we are involved in God's great work. Whether we think it is or not, the greatest thing you and I can do is serve God's kingdom. And it doesn't matter whether you have a label which goes behind your name. But serving in God's kingdom in one way or the other is the greatest thing that you can do. Yet, that is the least that many of us do, including those of us with labels. In the story of Samson and Delilah, you see, Delilah was persistent in asking Samson the secret of his success. He initially withstood her onslaught, but finally he gave in. And when he gave in, he gave up. That was the end of Samson. A sad end to a mighty man. That could be the end for any one of us if we give in to the devil. The devil has a much better language capacity than any one of us. He has a much better voice than any one of us. With due apologies to the praise and worship team. He has a more melodious approach, harmonious approach, than any one of us could ever practice. Don't give in. Because if you do, you meet the same fate as Samson. Instead, we need to stand like Nehemiah. Number two. Can I have the next slide, sister? It is innuendo. 
Number two is taken from chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. It's innuendo. What is innuendo? It is an oblique hint or an indiscreet suggestion. You know, a suggestion made on the slide. It's not a positive suggestion. It's a suggestion with a twist in the tail. That is what you call innuendo. I won't read the verse except to say this. When you come to the end of that uh, passage, when you come to verse 9, the New Living Translation ends it like this. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with a even greater determination. Okay. Now, I like that ending there which says, So I continued the work with even greater determination. But I also like what is there in other versions of the Bible. Like for example, in New King James Version, it actually ends with these words. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. There's a prayer. It's not there in the NLT. It's there in the New King James Version. It says, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Four frustrated attempts were made to lure Nehemiah into an ambush. And then the enemy shifted tactics. He sent an open letter to Nehemiah. Remember who's sending the letter? Governor Shanbalat, Governor Tobiah. To whom? To Governor Nehemiah. Okay, not Deputy Governor Nehemiah, to Governor Nehemiah. So equal in rank. An open letter was sent to Nehemiah that contained a rumor accusing him of plotting to rebel and become the king. The word was that he had hired prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem that he was to be the new king. The letter also contained a not-so-veiled threat that if he didn't want these nasty rumors to get back to King Artaxerxes, he needed to agree to a meeting. What does this tell us? Satan likes to spread slanderous and false rumors against godly leaders and godly people. And it will happen at times such as this. Remember, this fifth letter was intentionally kept open. Normally, official letters between governors would be sealed. No one except the governor would be able to read it. This was intentionally left open. It is an insult to send such a letter from one governor to another governor, but there is a plan. The intention here was very simple. The messenger would read the letter, pass the news around that Nehemiah was a schemer and a traitor and a throne grabber. To make matters worse, Satan planted the, fear, the seed of fear by suggesting that this information would be taken to the king. He does it even now. He puts the seed of fear into every one of us, on and off, that if you don't do something like this, there shall be a complaint made to your boss, 
your manager, your CEO, your sponsor, somebody. And then we give in because we are afraid. Now, how did Nehemiah respond in this situation? He responded by prayer. Not the long, repetitive, wailing prayers, but the short prayer of a man in the middle of a battle. Here was a man who was fighting. And in the middle of that battle, he makes a prayer. And listen to his prayer. He says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Is that the prayer you and I would make? The prayer you and I would make, at least the prayer I would make, I don't know about you, would be, God, destroy that guy. Knock him off. Do something. I would use every possible medical terminology to help God make that guy get a heart attack or a stroke or whatever. But Nehemiah said something different. He did not pray that his enemy be destroyed. He prayed that his hands be strengthened. And that is what we need to pray. It doesn't matter about the guy out there. It doesn't matter about your enemies. Let them do what they want. What you need is to have one step ahead of them. And for that, who's going to give it to you? God. Ask God for that. Be strengthened. Now again, let me remind you of something that we heard last week, something that Pastor Sabi highlighted to us. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, we had the prayer of Peter and John when they were hauled before the Sanhedrin. And this is what they say. Now, Lord, this is their prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. Did they say, Lord, freeze their hands, paralyze them so that we can speak, but they can't take the knives against us? No, no, no. Peter and John did not pray that at all. Okay, Peter and John said, we pray that we will have boldness to speak. Nehemiah said the same thing. Strengthen my hands. And that's what we need to be talking about. Number three. Next slide, sister. Intimidation. Devil's scheme number three is intimidation. Verses 14, sorry, 10 to 14 of chapter 6. Now this passage starts by Nehemiah going to visit a person called Shemaiah. Now, history records that Shemaiah was a prophet in the church. Shemaiah was a prophet in the church. And this passage goes on to talk of other prophets, Noadiah and others. Prophets. Prophets are not outside the church. Prophets are inside the church. Okay? Now, here was a man, Shemaiah who was claiming to have a word from God that could save Nehemiah's life. And what was it he said? Let us go inside the temple and lock up the doors. And Nehemiah knew that this was not God's word. 
How did he know that? Because he knew that if he had done that, it would prove to the rest of the people outside that they had a bad leader. They had a leader who was concerned about himself, locked himself behind the door, number one. Number two, they had a leader who was a sinner because law stated that no one who was not a priest was not allowed to enter into that temple and lock the door. That's there in Numbers. So Nehemiah knew that this man claiming to give me a word from God was telling me to do something that was wrong. It will discredit me in front of my people and it will cause me to sin in front of my God. That was Satan's plan. And that is Satan's plan all the time. Somehow discredit Nehemiah, ruin his reputation. Somehow discredit you and me, ruin our reputation. Be careful when someone claims to be a man of God and invites you to do something that you know is wrong. Anyone claiming to be a man of God, asking you to do something that you straight away know is not right, be warned, be careful. You see, one thing we can do to test any prophecy, however sweet-sounding and enticing it is, is simply this. A true prophet would never counsel someone to do something that is against God's word. Go back to the word of God. You've got, you're getting a word from somebody, go back to the word of God. Confirm it with the word of God. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what the Bereans did. However great a man Paul was, the Berean said, let's go back to the word of God. They went and checked it up to see whether what he said was correct or not. And that is why we don't take, because sometimes we hear things that we want to hear. You and I may have great plans for our own future, including somehow changing the Constitution of the United States of America so that you and I could become the president. You see, the Constitution states that if you are a born American, you can't be a president. But you and I may have that desire. And somebody would come and tell you something that will make you go in that direction. The point of the matter is, you are hearing something that your itching ears wants to hear. It may not be what is there in the Word of God. Anything that is spoken against God's Word or that is not confirmable from God's Word, be warned. Throughout the Bible, we are always encouraged to do God's work, however tough the environment. So when the prophet came and told Nehemiah, let's go and hide inside, uh-huh, Nehemiah knew straight away, that means God's work can't, can't take place. If God's work can't take place, that can't be God's plan. I'm not doing it. Remember, our selfish desires do not find a place in God's word. My final point, number four, infiltration. 
Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 to 19. Interesting when you read the New Living Translation, because it gives you a date. It says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. And I was just struck by the thought that our 30th anniversary actually finished on October 1st. I said, how appropriate that I use the New Living Translation to, 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 to share this word. Okay? It says, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, that is the wall being finished, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because of his father-in-law and because of his son and because of his daughter-in-law. And it goes on. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds. People of that land. Nehemiah's people. God's people. People of Judah kept telling Nehemiah about Tobiah's good deeds. And then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Okay? So when the enemy saw that their attempts at intrigue, at innuendo, at intimidation failed, they turned to their last option, which is infiltration. The first thing to recognize is that the enemy gets humiliated, frustrated, even frightened when the work of God does not stop. Why are we frightened when somebody threatens us to stop the work of God? Because the Bible tells us that when the work of God goes on, it is the enemy who is frightened, intimidated, and humiliated. The devil has turned it around, but the Bible tells us something different. So the work of God needs to go on because it is not us who should be intimidated or frightened or humiliated. It is the people outside. It is the others. Those who are anti-God are those who are going to be intimidated. You see, why did the people outside get intimidated and humiliated? Because they recognized that what was happening was not man's work. This building of the wall in 52 days was not man's work. It was the work of God. So people outside recognized, how do we stand against a nation whose every work is being done by God? We are not fighting against man, we are fighting against God. They recognized that. And then they felt humiliated, they felt frightened. And so as a last-ditch effort, the enemy tried to use God's people to dismantle God's work. Many people tried to influence Nehemiah to have a meeting with Tobiah and maybe with other leaders also. They had their personal reasons for doing this by relation, by vasta, whatever. What they probably did not recognize, that they had become tools in the hands of the enemy. As an aside, let me mention here, 
Before coming here in the church where I was in Coimbatore, I was editing a, a, news, a monthly newsletter. And one of the first things me and my co-editors decided was there should be a feedback column. So we put it across there that whatever comments you want to make, whatever suggestions you want to make, please feel free to send it to us in writing with your name. We do not take verbal comments. We do not take verbal feedbacks. We do not take comments without names. Okay, because verbal feedbacks can never be used as evidence. When somebody sends you a suggestion without a name, they can write whatever they want. If somebody is making an accusation, they've got to back it up. I remember in this church in the early days, we had a suggestion box. And in that suggestion box, suggestions could be put in. And there was a time when I, I remember Pastor Busola opened it, Pastor Abraham and Pastor Busola had the key to that, they opened it, and there was one paper without a name. And Pastor Busola straight away said, throw that in the bin. So we said, why? Why not? Let's just read it. Maybe, maybe there's a worthy comment. He said, no. Any comment made in the church, the person who makes that suggestion, that criticism, whatever, has to have the boldness to stand for it. You see, and that is the thing here. All kinds of infiltrating news, all kinds of rumors can come, all kinds of things can be spoken about. Gossip is fantastic. WhatsApp is even better. Okay, one click and it goes to 100,000 people at the same time. Today morning there was an interesting uh, WhatsApp message. You want to hear it? No, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not, I'm not playing that game. Okay. You see, with God on his side, infiltration did not work with Nehemiah. He was not threatened by the letters with Tobiah made. He was not threatened by the fact that people were talking about him to Tobiah and telling him good news about Tobiah. Neither should you be. You see, today I pray that with God on our side, neither intrigue nor innuendo nor intimidation, nor infiltration shall work in the tasks assigned to each and every one of us. To end, I will just read this battle cry from Paul, which we all know so well. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. The trumpet has been sounded. The church has just celebrated its 30th anniversary. The foundation has been laid, the walls have been built, but now starts the real work. None of us can afford to be complacent. None of us can sit back on our laurels. 
it's time to take a deep breath, get back to work, and more forcibly, more energetically, with more dependence on God. Shall we pray? Just ask God that where there is intrigue, He will help us to be firm in our priorities and resolves. Where there is innuendo, He will help us to be bold and He will strengthen our hands. Where there is intimidation, He will help us to fearlessly obey Him. And where there is infiltration, we will be totally dependent on the Lord. Church, pray that you and I will put on the whole armor of God that we might stand against the wily ways of the devil. Father God, we thank you as you are speaking to us in this thing. Lord, cautioning us, reminding us, be alert and be vigilant as the time is nearing. Dear Father, we thank you for what you are to us in the past. And also you reminded us and encouraged us today that we should prepare for the coming of Father. Lord, in no matter, no means the work of yours we stop or become an entrances or any through any one of us. Continue to strengthen us, keep us together. The work which you have started, Lord, you are going to accomplish it through each and every one of us. Thank you for your servants. Thank you for the word, the leading, the anointing of thy spirit. Continue to help us to remain together in unity to continue your work. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Now it's the time for us to go to the Lord's table. Since the time is very short, that we have to just prepare ourselves. The Lord's table or the communion, in this the few things we have to remember before we come. It is not a ritual and it is not a tradition. And it is the commandment which the, our Lord Jesus Christ made us to do. In these two things, one is the elements. What are the elements of this table? The bread and the wine. The, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And also the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ which was shed for our sins. First of all, the fall expense here, it has to be preached and it has to be, as we do, showing each other and also proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which, was, which he has done before 2,000 years ago. That has to be reminded, remembered, and proclaimed to the world. No other gospel is greater than the death of Jesus Christ. We have to proud of, proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, here Paul reminds us that we should not partake the elements unworthy manner. What is the unworthy manner? Few things are there. The unworthy manner is the one who is not born again or saved. The unworthy manner 
when we partake of the communion with the unconfessed sin in our life. Thirdly, the unworthy manner is when we partake the communion without paying attention to what we are doing. An unworthy manner is also taking the bread and the cup very lightly. We should not do so because it is prepared for the people, those who accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior. Finally, it also reminds us to examine ourselves. In verse 28 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and it says that we should examine ourselves before we take part in the last table. This concept can be summed up in uh, two words. One is the confession, second is the chastening. So the confession is the we should not have uh, any unforgiven sin in us. That has to be confessed. And the chastening is, that is two things. One is judgment, another is uh, disciplining. If we judge ourselves, we need not be chastened. And that is why we have to judge ourselves. Because the scripture is very true before us. We know the scripture. That's why we have to judge ourselves. That means when we examine ourselves, if we have any sin, unforgiven sin in us, it is the time before coming, take part in this table, you confess before the Lord, God is gracious to forgive you and with the clear conscience, and you are allowed to take part in this Lord's table. So once again, it is a reminder to each and every one of you, this table is preferred for the people, those who accepted Christ and gave their life, obey to the Lord in the waters of baptism. It is not for everyone. This taking part in this, it will not save you, it will not take you to heaven. So don't think about it. It is only to remember the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord and proclaim the death of Jesus Christ to this world. Let's close our eyes. Wait upon the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the word that you have spoken to us. Lord, even though the time, the, the time is very short, Lord, we here we are. Remember, your son Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross before 2,000 years ago. Even today we remember, Lord, he was, he died on the cross on our behalf. We live because he lives today. Lord, we remember his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his coming. Lord, he is going to come and prepare our hearts. Even right now, when you are going to take part in this, O oh Father, Lord, thanking you for what you have done, the great thing on the cross. It shows your abundance of your love and your grace to us. Help us to remember all the days of our life, Lord, to rejoicingly celebrating the victory which you won on the cross on our behalf. As we take part in this table, bless the bread, bless the wine, and the Lord, let the blessings be imparted to each and every one of us. In Jesus' most exalted name we pray. The children of God, since the time is very short, and please cooperate with ushers as they are guiding, and then we will finish in time.
praise. Come to the table of mercy. Come to the table of mercy Prepared with the wine and the bread All who are hungry and thirsty Come and your souls will be fed Come at the Lord's invitation Receive from His nails God has Eat of the bread of salvation Drink of the blood of the Lamb on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread. After giving thanks, you broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. And as you eat it, remember me. This is my body broken for you and as you eat it remember me on the night you were betrayed you held the cup after giving thanks you lifted it up this is my blood poured out for you and as you drink it remember me this is my blood poured out for you and as you drink it remember me so we thank you for the wine and for the bread For we see the life you gave and the blood you shed When we remember your wondrous love You gave your body, you shed your blood and we remember your wondrous love you gave your body you shed your blood by your blood you have saved us by your blood you have freed us by your blood we can enter into your holy place by your love you forgave us by your power you have raised us by your blood precious blood of the lamb by your blood by your blood you have saved us by your blood 
you have freed us by your blood we can enter into your holy place by your love you forgave us by your power you have raised us by your precious blood of the lamb by your blood precious blood of the lamb as we drink this cup As we drink this cup, we worship you. As we eat this bread, we honor you. And we offer you our lives as you have offered yours for us. We remember all you've done for us. We remember your covenant with us. We, we remember and worship As we drink this cup, we worship you. As we eat this bread, we honor you. And we offer you our lives as you have offered yours for us. We remember all you've done for us. We remember your covenant with us. Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord. We remember. We remember all you've done for us. We remember your sacrifice for us. Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord. We remember. We remember all you've done for us. We remember your covenant with us. Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord.
shall we be on up? We remember and worship Hallelujah. Let's bless Jesus for the word again, for how he has moved in this service. Lift up your hands and appreciate the Lord. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for feeding us spiritually and physically and in every area. We appreciate you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done today. Thank you for the blessing of the communion table. Blessed be your name in Jesus' precious name. In the name of Jesus. The truth of today's message is beware. Second Corinthians 11.3 As Satan beguiled Eve through his subtlety lest you should be corrupted by the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. Amen? The gospel is simple but powerful. Let's not be taken in by the deception, the wiles of the enemy. It's time to labor. Amen? So grace to so labor, we receive it in the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done in our lives today. Thank you for your servant that you have used to bless us. We pray that many days ahead, you will reveal to him deeper truths in the name of Jesus. Lord, bless him and bless his family. Let your mighty hand be strong upon him in the name of Jesus. Father, let this month... Bring the bread of life into the reality of manifestation of every prophetic blessing of the 30th anniversary in the name of Jesus. Let this month begin a new level of grace and glory in our covenant work with you in the name of Jesus. As we go into this week, Father, we pray that indeed you will fight for us and we shall hold our peace. In the name of Jesus. We go in your name and we go in your power and we return with testimonies next week Friday. Thank you, Father. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Let's share the grace in fellowship, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Before we share our normal greetings, please let's be reminded that the Konkani audio, which is launched during the 30th anniversary, is still on sale. Konkani audio by our Konkani brethren. Amen. If you are not a Konkani brethren, you are still our brethren. Make sure you buy one. God bless you. Evangelism and glory. Have a great week ahead. Please, please go out through this side, through this side. Hallelujah. Through the right side. Let's make sure we are on the right side of the Lord. Towards my right. Let's go out towards my right hand. Hallelujah. God bless you.